Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art on WGXC, produced in Toronto by New Adventures in Sound Art. Past editions of Making Waves are available online on the Wavefarm archive and on NASA's SoundCloud page. Today's show, Becca Sims interviews Laura Cavanaugh and Ian Burse, who together are Instant Places. Instant Places create generative, long-form performances in installations and have toured their work extensively around Canada and Europe. They'll be presenting their new online installation, Carbon Sugar Air, as part of NASA's Deep Wireless Festival of Radio and Transmission Art. The installation launches on January 17th at carbon.nasa.com. The launch will also feature a special broadcast performance by Instant Places from their studio in Hull, Quebec. They'll be joined across Canada by guest Tina Pearson in Victoria, British Columbia. Here is Instant Places in conversation with Becca Sims. I think uh, we used to work separately before, but uh, because we're we're uh, married, I think it started to sort of cross over, and then, yeah, almost accidentally, um, hadn't really thought of working together, but you know, ended up in a situation where 
uh, we had to wait for some other people to come and so they asked us if we would do something together as because because we were performing separately and then we're asked to do something if we did we do something together to wait for the other people to come and so we said yes and I don't know it just seems quite natural not something we sort of thought about it just organically sort of moved that way I like that especially with with this type of things you do I think organically is a good word to use uh, so did your early solo practices bleed into instant places at all yeah I mean it's we're very multidisciplinary and so we're coming from uh, backgrounds of you know visual art and music and and text instant places is kind of an idea of this this big funnel that could just take all of our interests and influences and and have different outputs in all sorts of different different forms kind of an envelope for uh, different kinds of art awesome on that thought could you tell me a little bit about the fusion of performance and installation and what you guys do yeah they are kind of crossover because i think we're very um, process orientated um, even with the installations, the majority of them have been sort of process oriented where we go into environments and spend time in the environments and the, uh, you know, w whether that's a gallery and outside the gallery, you know, if, if we go to, to Buenos Aires or if we're in Tokyo or wherever is that we actually have always actively gone into the environment and collected sound files and um, taken photographs and taken in as many sort of in different kinds of impressions that we can and then and then are creating the systems and thinking about the ideas and creating the piece on location. So your work is very holistically site-specific? Not always, no. <laughs> but quite often for installation work we would um, build a lot of the, the machines in the space so that you're actually, uh, rather than having a sort of ideal studio set up and then trying to make it work in whatever presentation situation you have, is we would do as much of the work in the space as, as possible so that you're reacting to the sound of the room, kind of speakers that they have, ambient sounds, etc. And uh, for the online installation, we're working in a similar way as that we listen to the compressed stream version of it as we're as we're composing and building the machine so that we're really responding to the actual environment that people will be listening to it which is a on the internet 128 kilobytes per second stream really kind of tailoring the machines and material to that output very cool so even though it's sort of in this nebulous space that is the internet there's still a sense of place involved I think so, and, and um... I mean, maybe not even place so much as, as sort of um, environment. Yeah. It's operating within an environment. Yeah, it's a virtual space that operates with certain rules, and, and so we're trying to kind of operate within that. So lately a number of works by Instant Places have a focus on generative components. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, we're really uh, trying uh, to capture the immediacy of improvised performance and put it into gallery uh, situations and installation situations so that people visiting the installation really encounter a kind of living process that feels very immediate and uh, involve people in a process that's 
kind of unique to their experience that no one else at a different day is going to hear exactly what that person's hearing. Yeah, we did a recording session in our apartment a couple of days ago where we just had a couple of mics set up in a in the big room, the biggest room, and we just kind of wandered around and improvised with different acoustic uh, instruments mm -hmm. with some of our uh, electronic sounds running in the background. And then we just cut that up into made samples and we're starting to use that as material for the for the installation. And it's very layered material. It's got a lot of accidental sounds, like the fridge might turn on or car <laughs> right. might by. It's very open to the environment. Or snowplow. <laughs> so some real Canadiana happening there with the snowplow. Um, so where does generation meet improvisation? Do they do they mix together, or is it like layers? It's probably different layers, and I wanted to add, like, with the generative pieces, is also we work in parallel with new developments within technologies and sort of um, pushing out those new technologies. So at one time, for installations or even for live performance, the technology wasn't really there to expand on that. And, and, and that's something that we really want to work in parallel. It's not a sort of... Um, oh, we're just we're choosing to be this kind of an artist or that kind of an artist is is that we are um, all in um, a, a kind of river that's flowing and, and 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 all these kind of new things come into the tools are made possible to uh, to develop and and you're developing those tools at the same time. So sometimes our directives are not necessarily completely on, you know, personal choice of what we like or what we don't like is that what are the contemporary kinds of issues that are coming into play with different kinds of instrumentation, technology, um, conscious thought and um, philosophy. So, so it's, and it's not a fixed kind of thing either. It's not just this or just that. It's part of a dialogue. Okay. So your practice sort of evolves along with the evolution of technology and sort of cultural thought and it's, it's sort of traveling through space and time together. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true Annette. Um, the history of our practice has always been not really kind of going away somewhere for months and making this perfect thing. It's, it's always been a process of making something fairly quickly, presenting it to the public, so there's always this dialogue with developing technology over the 15 years that we've been, say, working with computers. As they got faster, you were able to do more and different things. But all the way along, the history of stuff that we've done, even before computers with analog, uh, working with cassette tapes, working with uh, lo-fi samplers, that's all in there and it's still we revisit that from time to time too. We have lo-fi instruments that we like to work with. And so really trying to be able to access the whole range of, of um, say what's possible with, with the technology.
And I noticed too, besides from being sort of sonically compelling, that there seems to be a strong visual element element to some of your work. And I'm wondering how integrated is the approach between visuals and sound? That is somewhere where where there is the changes in technology have changed a lot because um, working with visual arts in purely um, kind of physical mediums, if you were working with a musician, say, or something, is that one is in real time and one is perhaps not, and they're kind of out of sync with the, each other as far as time elements go. Some place where I think the sonic arts and the visual arts, because of technology, can run at the same speed in a sense, or the same kind of time. They can run in real time together where at different times that wasn't really possible or accessible. Right, so that's um, made the visual arts more appealing to you guys to use, or, or is sort of dichotomy what's appealing about it? I started out as a visual artist, so visual arts is a part of my uh, language. But uh, there was a part in your practice where instead of sitting in a painting studio kind of by yourself, you really wanted to kind of be able to perform, work with with musicians. And so you started working with like an overhead projector and working with colored gels and with... Yeah, low-tech like, low tech possibilities because it was a different kind of time sample. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a draw towards collaboration for you, even when you were sort of doing more solitary artistic endeavors. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like, I like both. I mean, I, I mean, traditionally, I mean, for painters anyway. And I started as a painter. Um, that's a very solitary kind of activity. I mean, that's you just spend hours and hours by yourself, and it takes a certain, you know, it's like being a writer. Yeah. It's, a different kind of temperament, which I which I thoroughly enjoy, but I also was interested in how musicians could collaborate together. They could play together and create create these other entities outside of that. But I think too is like for me, not too much one or what, not too much of the other, because I I also I'm not that interested in playing music with a, a whole ton of people either. It's, it's a pretty personal kind of thing and, it, and it's a pretty um, special kind of thing. So, so it, it's, not, it's not just spending time in the studio, like for either of us, just, you know, like just, um, you know, as a writer, as a painter, you know, and, and then the work comes out at this other kind of stage. And it's also not um, where you're kind of a, a kind of gigging musician where you're just um, playing wherever, with whoever, <laughs> at any time. It, it is a, a, a different kind of a process, I think, for us. Okay. So, so, so we do other, we, we do collaborate with other people and we do perform with other people, but it's not the objective. Okay, I see. So it's a little bit more of a nuanced approach to this idea of collaboration. Yeah.
I'd like to get to some specifics now, and I'd like to hear about Carbon Sugar Air, which is your online installation that's going to go live next week. Um, and I'm going to return to this idea of generation. A little bit earlier today, um, you sent me a screenshot of the generative machine that's going to be used for the online installation, and it looks like you're using Max or maybe PD. Yeah, that's Max MSP. Yeah. Max MSP. Okay, so how does um, technology like Max assist in, in gener the actual generating of the material? It basically it just takes the idea of like you could have say three tape recorders playing uh, the same material at different speeds out of sync. Mm -hmm. uh, Max just lets you do that times a hundred. <laughs> right. Um, you know it's basically the same idea. I don't think those compositional ideas have really changed in the last you know forty fifty years as as far as how you deal with kind of generative. Um, musical processes, but Max just allows you to really fine-tune some of those and start to really sculpt and shape how those processes are working indeterminately. So, and uh, I think it's very good because it's um, um, because it's, it's it's not a sort of fixed kind of software. Is that you can just continually keep building and building and bringing new kinds of ideas into the mix, always developing all the time about what kind of instrumentation, what kind of sound, and you're also playing with the sound and playing with the environment and playing with the different aspects of, of kind of intuitive composition and that with an, an instrument that, that you get to organically develop. Yeah, so it's more interaction between man and machine sort of happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then when we're developing a piece of definite, it's really a dialogue between what the machine wants to do and what we want to hear. And uh, over the years, the machine has changed our ideas about what we like to hear quite a bit. Yeah, because um, I, I think that one of the exciting things about art is not that you're um, putting your ideas and your things on top of um, uh, the demands of art or whatever, is that it's actually informing you, you know. so. And that's that's a really a way um, what the dialogue that happens between the visuals or the audios is that the most exciting part is when the art is actually informing you. You're not telling it what to do, but it's actually informing you and configuring things in ways that that you you didn't conceive or think about or anticipate. 
It's actually reminding me of a Jackson Pollock quote. It, it goes something like, you know, I, I have to do the art, and then I step back, and then I actually realize what it's about. Like this sort of dialogue from letting it happen, and then you actually sort of understand and can go from there when it's partially in existence already. We're doing that, but kind of it's flowing. Um, maybe more would happen in a day for us than for Jackson Pollock because... <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is shifting under your feet all the time. Right. Kind of like surfing and uh, yeah, it's just really fascinating to work with indeterminate processes and tr sort of catch this vapor that's, uh, that, you know, it's floating around and can you bottle it kind of thing. Yeah, like reaching into the ether. I like that. So um, the processes are described in the program note for carbon sugar air is, is very slowly evolving. So is large-scale, long-form, slow development something particularly attractive to you guys? Sometimes. Because <laughs> <laughs> when we do performances, a lot of times it's like just full-on uh, noise. Uh, Fast and... The opposite of minimal. Yeah, that's not really fixed. Like, I mean, that's, I, I, I guess, in a sense, too, is the way that a, a piece starts to inform you as to what it's doing with the different elements that you put into it. And, um, and that's the thing. Sometimes it's, uh, um, we are interested in very, you know, slow pieces that develop over time, but we're also interested in the opposite. <laughs> okay. So, like, a lot and of variety. It, it, between, you know, because it's 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 not about always trying to accumulate and fix something. It's really about something about things being activated and unfixed. So, is it about temporal extremes, or is it just about capturing the whole spectrum? Yeah, the whole spectrum. Like we don't really have a manifesto. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's just, we, do, we do whatever we want. That's very freeing as an artist to not have to go by some sort of self-inflicted manifesto, you know? Or, or, things that, or things that we don't want because it's not, art's not just about what you like and what you don't like. <laughs> right, of course.
going back to scale, um, for the pieces that do sort of evolve over more time, you know, when something evolves over days instead of minutes or seconds, do you think that has an impact on the way an, an audience or someone who's going to see an installation sort of listens to it or contextualizes what they hear? Ian, I think you touched on that earlier, but... Yeah, Laura was mentioning earlier today as kind of what we, what we kind of would like for the installation is it could almost be like an environment that someone would just have on in their house. You don't have to have headphones on and totally focus. You could be cooking or, you know. Well, uh, well I think that you could floor. have, well, I, I think that the thing that you could have either, either or one, yeah. is that you could have, that you could sit down and listen, have very focused attention. You could have the headphones on or you could have your speakers there and you could just be, you know, a very directed attention towards that, 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 that um, sound environment but also that you could have it on for hours and you could just be wandering around doing whatever it is that you do as a human being. And that it would just be part of your environment. That it's non-invasive, that, that it, can, it can, you know, if, if the fire truck goes by, it's just as happy to be there as if uh, there's total silence or if um, you're working on something or having dialogue or cooking or so that it's, it can also be an, very open to any kind of environment that it's in. And it doesn't need to be focused on all the time. It can just, you know, sometimes you're aware of it and sometimes you're not aware of it. And it doesn't have to be the primary either. So like the overall effect on the awareness of sound is sort of like a, you acclimatize and there's a normalcy given to it. Yes. Well, I'm not sure how normal it is. I, I don't know, <laughs> but then I don't know how normal any you know environment is. There you go, exactly. <laughs> but it makes me think of um, this was like 20 years ago when we uh, basically kind of stopped listening to recorded music. But uh, the transition period was a long period where we only listened to Morton Feldman's. Uh, long pieces that have a lot of silence and uh, that started to really teach us about how a sound environment can be really uh, open to everything that's going on around it and that they're not interruptions or they're not a, a taking away from the artwork. It's all becomes part of one thing. Yeah, it's not kind of in, uh, inclusive just to itself, it, you know, that um, by having other sounds uh, around or, or uh, disruptions that it, it, um, it doesn't reject other sounds. So was that like a deeply impactful time, just sort of moving away from recorded music and sort of being totally immersed in Morton Feldman's very special sort of sonic world? I think it was just part of a lot of other things that were going on at the same time of both of us. Uh, kind of really wanting to focus on on art rather than say commercial outcomes for um, for careers in music or painting or whatever and really trying to find that uh, path for ourselves so um, that came when we were living in Edmonton we uh, we kind of lucked into this house right by the university that was slated to be torn down and so we just had basically lived let rent free for 10 years because they forgot oh. to tear it down so <laughs> oh my god it's like an artist's so, yeah, dream so here, 
a huge university house built in, I don't know, 1910 or something. <laughs> that is so fantastic. So all part of that period where we actually kind of, that bought us some time to be able to just wander and kind of lateral movement and let things slowly develop as real luxury actually. And, and uh, yeah, so lots of different thinking and changes happening around that time, through that time. Laura, I know you mentioned earlier about, and Ian, you touched on this too, going into a space and, and sort of like living and working and, and listening and identifying with it before sort of really being immersed in the creation of the project or the installation. So I'm wondering with that level of immersion, like how does it affect your, your later creative work or even more broadly your life when you're that deeply entrenched in a singular project? Um, I think that that's also part of the thing about not being singularly um, entrenched in a project is that um, it helps you to take part in a, in a larger scale thing because even if you're making something in, in a particular city, in a particular country, in a particular place, is that you have to interact with that environment. You know, if you <laughs> you need uh, a piece of equipment or you need a, um, something, you know, you're interacting with shopkeepers, you're interacting with the people in the street. Um, our installations were always open so that people could come in and visit if they wanted. Um, you, you were going out to different sort of sites. You have to go see, okay, you know, uh, you're in middle Australia. Uh, you walk around, say, well, you know, you end up in uh, in a big sort of 
um, dump area where there's all this metal and you just start sounding it or you find these little objects along the way where you 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 go to see the the beaches and the environments uh, what kind what kind of eco environment is it what kind of urban environment what are the sounds that are in it so so it's not um, specifically working within the studio with a specific idea is that you keep going out into the world around you, going, talking to the people that are there, interacting with them. So it's not this immersive thing where you're just in the studio and you're, we gotta make something, we gotta make something. <laughs> you know, is that you're actually trying to make it a holistic kind of experience where it's not just about um, making music, it's not just about making art, it's uh, it, it's also, you know, or just working with technology, it's also collaborating with the environment and people and organisms and plant life and things that are around us. So it's about kind of opening up more than it is closing off yourself in the studio and, and making this, you know, piece of art. <laughs> well, it sounds like a good way not to become consumed. back to carbon sugar air just for a moment um, because there's a, a specific process that the generation is based on right there's always a poetic translation that happens between our kind of the mind candy that gets your taste buds going in the beginning um, so well it, essentially a point of departure and some of the visual things like we there's a lot of images of, of the lichens that we've been looking at and sometimes we'll try and translate that visual space into, okay, how would that translate into a sonic space as far as occupying, you know, a stereo spectrum or, a, you know, like a, a tonal kind of range. Yeah. Um, but there's no one-to-one lineups really between what it's trying to do is make a, a kind of dialogue with those kinds of ideas or with the lichen. It's sort of, it's only the opening point of a dialogue to, to try and understand and get different, broader kind of comprehension about the organism itself and our, our own selves. So it's only an opening dialogue. It's not uh, an ending. <laughs> okay. So the, the lichen symbiosis was a departure point. Mm-hmm. About mm-hmm. opening up your mind to different ideas, and they have to think about, well, do lichens make sound? Do they talk to each other? What do they actually do? 
and like even this morning, I was thinking, well, if lichens communicate, is that the only sound that they would make? Is when they're communicating about how about when they're not communicating? What sort of sounds would they be making? Do they make sounds at all, or do they make sounds that is just not audible to the human um, ear, or is it just not audible because we don't open up our ears to to actually um, to think that anything else could make sound besides ourselves? <laughs> you know. Right. So there's a lot of inquiry that goes on into yeah, the departure point. Really harder, I think, because we are very process-oriented. It, it's all kind of an opening up of things rather than a fixed idea that's um, trying to pin down something. It's really an investigation and a process of um, exploring those different relationships of, of other things that are on the planet, I guess. sounds have a, a type of quality that you think can be linked to how they're generated so in the case of lichen symbiosis sounds that are earthy or for those with synesthetic leanings green uh, lichens kind of work with a kind of physical partner so there'll be a kind of physical structure that they're kind of working with there's communication back and forth and so I would think about that like being a mad machine kind of interaction. So it's a win-win, uh, a collaboration between two human beings. Once again, it's bigger than the sum of its parts. So um, a little bit more conceptual, say, than real nature-oriented biological uh, kinds of uh, met metaphors, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there's green sounds in there. <laughs> sounds like there will be all sorts of different colors in there. It sounds like it it touches many different parts of, of what yeah. Well, that's that is kind of something that we're interested in, is, is sort of cross-sensory types of things, and even the idea that um, a great deal of lichens also possess color, like, the, you know, since ancient times, lichens have been used to dye right. as a dye, and, you know, beautiful purples and mauves and pinks and and uh, so they've been used uh, since ancient times as, as natural dyes. So they have possess all this color inside of them as well. That's you know? <laughs> yeah, good. Hearing you talk about it, it's, it's easy to, to see why you would have been drawn to them as, as the beginning of this project. Yeah, they're just um, a really um, beautiful organism on the planet that is just kind of a delight to be able to spend time with and contemplate and meditate on and investigate. Another nice quality is that they're really hiding in plain sight. Once you start to become aware of lichens, then you see them everywhere. They're right there, you know? Yeah, we've got some right outside our window right here. We have a giant tree here and, and the lichens. Um, 
you know, they're, they're, they're all up the tree. I can just look out the window and see them. So some beautiful ones up in northern, northern Scotland uh, a couple of months ago. And, um, and there's all different kinds of them and they're everywhere. And once you start to notice them, they are really uh, a great deal of part of the environment. And they're also, they help the environment quite a bit. You know, um, they, they're, they're extremely good for, for cleansing the air. They're, they're actually used as sort of, uh, I guess, you know, kind of barometer type things like um, uh, lichens are taken into different environments to, to um, analyze uh, the quality, the air qualities. They also, you know, they've taken a couple out into space. They took them out into out into outer space, and they brought them back to the planet, and they were completely fine. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so you know, there's uh, no end to the kind of curiosity that they can start to to kind of. Uh, They're teasing us. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like after this level of rumination on something, you, your relationship with that organism will be sort of strengthened and made special for, for sort of the foreseeable future, right? Yeah, it um, presents a lot of different um, possibilities, possibly opening some different windows in your mind and some, di- you know, expanding your mind a, a little bit because humans we are pretty um, uh, human-centric. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true. We think uh, we're, we're the only intelligence, the only ones that can communicate, the only ones that create beauty or complexity. We, and so, we think we're the bees and bees. <laughs> <laughs> and then realize, you know, that there's, there's so many organisms on this planet in this universe that, you know, um, that uh, um, have, have something to show us. You know. yeah, absolutely. And transform us instead of us trying to transform any, everything around us, is that it can transform us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Now the performance on January 17th, it's, it's during the Arts Birthday broadcast, and you guys are going to be joined by Tina Pearson and Victoria, right? That's right. So what is it like collaborating with someone sort of who's not there with you in person? Yeah, it's really fun. It's fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no other word for it. Yeah, it's just fun. So is this something that you've done before? Yes, yes, we've done it um, in uh, different places and different countries, and uh, yeah, it's just fun because it is this, um, you know, it's, it's this strange sort of intimacy and presence and, and distance and space, all with the boundaries all sort of um, confused. <laughs> so it's an experience that touches everything, kind of like the art. And it's really nice that it can be just activated by artists without uh, necessarily having to get permission from anybody. You can just do it. You can just do it. And uh, it's, that's quite appealing. I mean, it's, it's great that, um, that Darren and Nadine and Nasa are hosting the installation. So we'll be generating here in our, in our house in Hull and then uh, relaying it to their server. Mm-hmm. And we've done a lot of relays in the past, too, where we bounced to FM stations and stuff. But it's quite a nice feeling that you can be self-activated as an artist, that we can have a computer running in our house through our mm-hmm. internet connection and, and, uh, and, that, and, and that, can, that can be um, in the middle of Tokyo, and it can be in the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan. It can be in diff- mm-hmm. all different kinds of environments. Yeah, we figured out in Saskatchewan is that they have, the farmers need internet because they do uh, stuff with their cows and that, that needs, uh, they need to be get online. So we ended up in this small town, really in the middle of nowhere, but we figured out that as long as you have a phone line in Saskatchewan, you can get fairly decent internet. So we were able to do uh, an, an online installation there. There was nothing in the house except a bed and a piano. <laughs> so, yeah, so, we so used the piano. yeah, and so, um, just ran a piece for a few days, but but we're in the middle of nowhere, and it was minus forty the whole time that we were there, and so it's a very isolated sort of feeling, and yet you're getting you're getting these these messages and emails from Peru and from you know and from Czechoslovakia. What? All oh, different parts of the world of people that are listening in, you know? That's phenomenal. <laughs> I love that. There's nothing that makes you feel more part of like a global artistic community than getting a message from Czechoslovakia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are, are veterans of playing to the invisible audience. Yeah, yeah. It's so, got almost the best of both worlds of like a studio recording and a performance. Ah. So that you kind of have the comfort of you know, setting up in your studio and you've got, you know, you can wear your pajamas if you want and at the same time it has that immediacy of performance like, you know, at zero hour, boom, you're going live and uh, and so it really has that focus and fun and excitement and so it's really, a, it's a fun, really fun thing to do. I never thought of it like that, like a bit of studio recording, bit of live performance. That's kind of a best of both worlds situation and plus you mentioned the pajamas which is yeah. cherry yeah. on the cake, clearly. <laughs> 
So um, the Arts Birthday performance, like, how does that fit contextually into the wider installation? We're pretty committed to when we're doing an improvisation is that uh, all of the manifestos go out the window and it really is about immediacy and, and, and freedom for each person. So Laura is completely free to do what she wants. Tina is completely free to do what she wants. I'm completely free to do what I want. And if there is some sort of psychic connection with, with ideas, but everybody can have their own uh, mental map that they're working from, and that's totally fine. It's like, uh, I know we just listened to an interview with Pauline Oliveris, and she talked about when you try and plan stuff, they used to try and plan stuff and it would never work. And so what you have to do is just go for it and listen and really um, engage. And um, it's uh, all about freedom. You've been listening to an interview by Becca Sims with Ian Burse and Laura Cavanaugh of Instant Places. You can listen to the sounds that have been playing through this program starting January 17th at Instant Places' online installation site carbon.nasa.ca. This has been Making Waves, heard monthly on WGXC and produced by New Adventures in Sound Art. NASA is launching the Deep Artist Festival with Arts Birthday broadcasts on January 17th. You can listen to the EBU broadcast stream at 5.45 for a performance by Instant Places with guest Tina Pearson. Details about this broadcast and others are at artsbirthday.net. Thanks for listening and join us next month for more discussion from the Deep Wireless Festival. <laughs>